0: our focus to what we're about to do now as we open up John and look at it together. Let's just take a moment to be still. Um, Let's prepare our hearts to receive uh, from God through his spirit and his word. Then I'll lead us in prayer and we'll open up the word together. Let's be still. Father, as we come now to receive from your word, we pray that the wind of your spirit would not just blow around us, but would just breathe a fresh air of life into each of us. So, Father, by the power of your spirit, show us the glory of your Son, and the overflowing fullness of grace that there is for each of us in him. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, please do open with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. When I was a child, one of the things that I loved to do when we were on our annual holiday in Portrush was to go to the beach. If I had a bucket and spade and all that sand and ocean, I was perfectly content. And I have a distinct memory of a time when I decided that I was going to dig a tunnel all the way down to Australia. (laughs) Anyone ever done that? I'm sure some of you have attempted it. I got to work on the project, but after digging for about five minutes, I realized that I was a bit fed up with that plan. It was a bit too much like hard work. But I had already a fairly good-sized trench in the sand, and so I had a new idea. My big trench-like hole in the sand wasn't that far away from the ocean. So I thought, I'm going to dig a channel that goes from the ocean into my trench. So I got digging again, started at the ocean, trying to make sure that my little channel would run downhill from the ocean to the trench. And my goodness, don't underestimate the fall. It is required. After some time, I had my trench I had to keep clearing it because the walls kept falling in, but eventually I got there, a nice downhill trench running from the ocean, a channel running from the ocean down into my big hole in the sand, and some good waves came, and my little channel got filled with water, and the water cascaded down it, and it filled my little trench, my hole with water, to overflowing, and needless to say, I myself was overflowing with excitement. From the fullness of the ocean, my little trench received its fullness. Now that is a beautiful illustration that takes us right to the heart of the truth that John wants us to take from our passage this morning. In John 1, 14 to 18, we are invited to turn the channel of our hearts towards Christ and to rediscover afresh that all the grace and strength and help we need is in him. It flows to us from his overflowing fullness. In that illustration that I've just painted for you, Christ is the ocean. And what is he full of? Well, John tells us here in John 1.14. He is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We are the empty hole, the trench. And look at what John says in verse 16 about how we are filled. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Here is the best news about Christmas. Jesus Christ comes to us in our emptiness and he comes to fill us with his overflowing grace. And if we will pause to reflect, we will see that this is what we all need, each of us this morning, more than anything else, his fullness for our emptiness. Our emptiness may take different forms this morning. Maybe you've come into church this morning and you have just a build-up of low-level burdens that have hollowed out your strength. Maybe you've come in carrying grief this morning and loneliness, and it's just pressing in on you, emptying you of joy. Or maybe you're just exhausted. You couldn't quite put your finger on it, but just a collection of things, an accumulation of things over the past year have just emptied you out and you just feel like you're running on fumes. Well what we all need for all of our different forms of emptiness is for his ocean of grace to flow in afresh filling us with grace and love and joy and peace. We need to hear again this morning, Christmas Eve morning, the reassuring voice of the Lord saying, my grace is sufficient for you, even in this thing that is making you feel so empty. My grace is sufficient for you. I am here and my posture towards you is one of overflowing grace, kindness, help. So, what we're going to do this morning is simply look at the source of our grace and the substance of our grace. We're going to look at the ocean, Jesus, as presented to us in verse 14. That's going to be the lion's share of this morning, just one verse, verse 14. And then we'll look at the substance of this grace and how this mighty ocean fills our lives, what this looks like in real life. So the source of grace and the substance of grace. The source of grace. Verse 14. So far in the first 13 verses of John 1, John has spoken of the eternal Son of God calling him The Word, in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John has also called the eternal Word the light of the world. In verse 9, he has spoken of the light coming to shine into the darkness of this world To make a way for lost sinners in darkness to become children of God. But what John hasn't told us yet is how the Son of God, the Word, would enter the world. And that is what he now tells us in verse 14. And We're going to look at this verse slowing right down and considering it clause by clause. He first says, and the Word became flesh. Now this is John's way of announcing the divine conception and virgin birth of Jesus, what we call the incarnation. John is telling us here that the divine Word, the Son of God, the author of life, moved from his place of glory with the Father and the Spirit to become an embryo in Mary's womb. The fullness of God dwelling within an egg cell in Mary's womb. Think of how the angel said this would happen when Mary couldn't wrap her head around it in Luke's gospel, Luke 1.34. When this divine conception and birth was announced to Mary, she was like, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. The Word entered human history via a womb. Jesus, the embryo, grew and developed as any human does in the womb. The heart started beating. Imagine if you had the ultrasound to track it. The organs developed, the limbs grew, the eyes opened, the labor pains came, the baby was born, Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh. This is a profound mystery. The Son of God in the incarnation fully took on our nature without losing any of His divine nature. Jesus Christ has two natures. One fully divine and one Fully human. They unite together in one glorious, unique person. The two natures of Christ aren't blended together like a mix of blue and yellow to make green. He's not a third thing. Jesus Christ is one person with a fully human nature A fully human mind, heart, and will, and a fully divine nature. The divine nature remains unchanged, undiminished. This is the fullness of God taking on the fullness of flesh, like us in all respects, apart from our sin. Now, there's much we could say about this profound mystery. But first, we must recognize that this is a profound mystery. Flesh interfacing with divinity. But here's an implication of the incarnation, just to help us practically right now today. God taking on our nature means, that our God understands us in our humanity. He is, as Psalm 139 says, intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Calvin has put it like this, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. You know, sometimes in troubles, all you want, instead of someone fixing the problem, all you want is someone to come alongside and understand you. Someone who says, I understand, I hear you, I'm hearing you, I understand. Well, in Hebrews 4.15, we read, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The authorised version puts it, we have one who is, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There's a saying, you can't really understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, Jesus has walked in our shoes. Let's just think about a few practical sides of this. Jesus knows what human tiredness feels like. Does that not encourage you? When you are just dog tired, Just so tired. Jesus knows what that feels like. When you're stressed, you have a Savior who knows the burden of stress biting down at you. He's familiar with grief. He's acquainted with suffering. He knows what it feels like to stand at a grave and weep. He knows what loneliness feels like. He knows ongoing singleness. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what it looks like to face your own death. He understands your peculiar little ways. David Mathis has helpfully said, an author I quote, an unincarnate deity doesn't connect with us in the same way as the God who became human. The conception of a God who never became man, like Allah in Islam, will not satisfy the human soul like the God who did. The Word became flesh. The next clause then, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now what makes this clause so striking is that the Greek word for dwelt here means literally to set up a tent. Now this is all about God coming near to us. Not going to a palatial palace with walls around it so that no one can get in. We go camping as a family most summers, literally in a tent. And the one thing you are in a tent is close to each other. We all sleep in the same space for two weeks, 14 nights last summer. We eat in the one space, we get smelly in the one place, we share beautiful moments together in the one space. And because you are camping in such close proximity to other people who are also camping with only a little canvas or vinyl wall, whatever it is these days, between you, you get to know the other people camping around you very well. You hear them snore through the night, for example. You hear them arguing as a family. You smell what they're cooking each evening. sometimes have barbecue envy. You see the good of the families around you, you see the bad of the families around you, and you see the darn right ugly in the families beside you. But often by the end of your camping trip, you make good friends with those around you. For example, we stood on the final night of our camping trip, and there were fireworks. This was at Henley Uh, the the Henley Festival was on, and there was these beautiful fireworks being set off at the the last night of the the, uh, festival. And we stood there with some people from Skibbereen. Do you know where that is? Cork. And uh, some other people from Portadown, and some other people as well, and lots of kids. And we stood there, and we watched the fireworks. And I sat there, and I just thought, wow. Also, by the way, Westlife were playing in the background, because they were the big headline band that night. So you can imagine the moment you're You're just standing there with people from Skibbereen and Portadown and some other English people. The fireworks are going off. You hear Westlife in the background. For a moment, I just thought, this is a beautiful moment. This is a beautiful moment. I would never have written this. And I'm standing here with random people, looking at fireworks, hearing, it's almost like a dream, isn't it? (laughs) Now, why am I telling you all that? Well, John is saying, Jesus has come down to camp alongside us. He's put his tent of human flesh right alongside our tents of human flesh. And he's come to be among us, to be intimately acquainted with us. He's come to invite us into beautiful moments of grace with him. Something better than fireworks and life in the background. Think of how glorious this is the transcendent God of gods. When Solomon built him a temple, he said, Lord, will you really dwell, dwell in a temple made by the hands of men? You, the one whom the heaven of heavens cannot contain. The almighty, transcendent, eternal word, the ancient of death, coming among us, moving towards us, into our messiness. We're the ones who are the annoying neighbors. We're the ones who snore. We're the ones who do all these things. And he comes alongside us to bring beautiful moments of grace. The word became flesh and set up his tent beside ours. And then the third clause, we have seen his glory. What does this mean? Was the eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ, walking around shining with some luminescent brightness? Well, no. We get a glimpse of that in the transfiguration. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see I think the key to understanding this clause is seen in John's unpacking it in the next part of the verse. Glory, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Where is the glory seen? It is seen in the glory of Jesus' graciousness and his truthfulness. It is the glory of his attributes. Do you remember the account where Moses makes a bold request to God in Exodus 33 and 34, saying, Lord, show me now your glory. How does God respond? God places Moses in the cleft in the rock, covers him, passes by, shows his glory in what way? He proclaims his attributes. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in chesed and emet, two Hebrew words. Steadfast love or grace and truth, faithfulness. That seems to be the two words that John is picking up here. When God was asked to display his glory, he said, Look at the glory of my attributes, grace, mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's where you see the glory of God. And how do we see the glory of Christ? Grace and faithfulness, truth, trustworthiness. We have seen His glory. So when you read your Gospels and you see Jesus and you see His grace, you see His favor towards us who are so undeserving his posture of kindness towards us, his patience, his love, his willingness to bear with us. We see in his truthfulness, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his rock-solid commitment to do what he has said. The incarnation of the Word was the ultimate display of the glory of the grace and faithfulness of God. And throughout the life of Christ, as I've said in the Gospels, we see the beauty of that grace and truth on display. Grace for the broken, grace for the marginalized, grace for the guilty, grace for the tax collectors and the sinners, grace for the refugee, grace for the rich, grace for the poor, but not just a mushy grace that was not guided by truth. Beautiful example will be demonstrated by John in the account of the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus comes to her full of grace, but also full of truth. He exposes her sin and her need of living water. And he says, I can give you water that will quench your thirst and you'll never be thirsty on that deep level again. And isn't it wonderful for us that He is both full of grace and truth? Just truth would be hard. We would be beaten down by the reality of our sin and lostness. But just grace would be inappropriate. Because then our sins might be belittled as we would hear God say, Oh, don't worry about it. He comes full of truth announcing the sickness of our sin and lostness and condemnation. And then he comes with grace and says, I'm the answer to it all. And here's just another little point of application. Let's make sure that we are people who reflect his balance of grace and truth. We've all met the people who are all about truth. It's almost like they're angry. We're the only ones that have the truth. And everyone else through my anger needs to know about it. Hard edge with truth and little grace. But then today in our society, it seems to be it should be all grace. Don't call out the truth. Don't mention sin. Don't mention the problem of, of sin and the need to change. Don't mention the offenses against God. No, 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 there should be grace. But that doesn't mean you ignore truth. So we proclaim the truth but we're full of grace with our proclamation of truth. Our truth is tempered by grace, and our grace is governed by truth. Not all just truth, but not all just mushy grace. Grace and truth. That's our goal. So, here's a source of our grace. The ocean. The Word became flesh. Christ, the one who came to be with us, full of grace and truth, kindness towards us, patience, grace. He moves towards us to help us. Let me ask have you seen glory here? Are you thinking about Him rightly? Are you appreciating the lengths he has gone to to pour grace into your life? There was no other way apart from incarnation. He took on flesh for you. That's the source of our grace. Now, let's just start to really press this home to ourselves as we turn to think of the substance of grace we've spent a good chunk of our time here pondering verse 14, just the glory of the incarnation. But now we have to ask, what is the connection between all the glory and truth in that verse and me as I sit here this morning? You see, God does not want us just to rightly understand the grace and glory of the incarnation. He wants us to experience the glory and grace of the incarnation. God wants us to make Christmas personal. And the connection between the truth of verse 14 and us is stated by John in verse 16. After a parenthetical note about the witness of John the Baptist in verse 15, John says in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace Upon grace. This is where verse 14 meets our lives. What is the substance of this grace? It is a grace that is outlined and foreshadowed in the Old Testament and that finds fulfillment and its substance in the person and work of Christ in the New. That is why John mentions the law of Moses in verse 17. The law graciously drives us to our need of a Savior, our need for mercy and grace. But the reality of that grace is found in Jesus Christ. And so in closing, let's just consider three aspects of the substance of this grace that we learn right across the pages of Scripture. First, this is a grace which provides forgiveness of sins. Here's where this grace meets us and flows into our lives. It's a grace that gives full pardon for sin. Now, Paul in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 makes this really clear. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So grace lavished upon you means you have the forgiveness of your trespasses. Now, I love cream on a scone. You know, a freshly baked cherry scone with with that real thick stuff. What do you call it? Is it clotted cream? Lovely. When I was young, my mum and dad, if I had a scone, they would say, you know the, remember, you know the can of cream you used to get? Let's just use that for imagination. They would say, right, here's your, your cream. And they would just go, a tiny spot of cream on the scone. But see if I go to my granny's, my granny would take a scone and she would just go, you have as much as you want, son. Now that's what God does with his grace. It's not a stingy portion. Listen to the language. According to the riches of his grace, you have the forgiveness of your trespasses, a grace that he lavished upon you with full wisdom and insight. Grace lavished on you. From his fullness, the fullness of his grace, you get grace the forgiveness of your sins. Now, who wouldn't want that today? Full cleansing from all your mess. Totally gone. Never counted against you. That's amazing grace. Second aspect of the grace. This is a grace which fills us with the righteousness of Christ. You could think the first grace that forgives us is the grace that empties us of our sin. But the second aspect of this substance of grace is a grace which fills us with the righteousness of Christ. We're emptied of our sin and filled with Christ's righteousness. Again, Paul puts this beautifully in 2 Corinthians 8-9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know his grace. Here's the definition of grace. That though he was rich in glory, yet for your sake he became poor incarnation, life and death on a cross so that you by his poverty might become rich through his poverty he makes you rich rich think about it with the light of christ overthrowing the darkness of your life rich in being filled with light and life new spiritual eyes that see glory rich in your sins not being counted against you, rich with the priceless righteousness of Christ being credited to your account, rich in your new identity as a beloved son of God, rich in all of his promises being yes and amen in Christ, rich in peace, rich in joy, rich in being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, rich in having God as your rock, your fortress, your ever-present help in trouble, rich in having a Father who comes to you in your weakness and says, my grace is sufficient for you, even in this. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is grace upon grace, filled with the all-satisfying righteousness of Christ. Not just emptied of sin, positively filled with the righteousness of Christ. Wow. Then the third aspect of this grace, finally, is the best of all. This is a grace that gives us God. And that's where John goes in verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, that language of at the Father's side is very hard to translate into English. The authorized version, I think, has it who is in the bosom of the Father. The whole idea is that, that Christ is eternally dwelling with God and is God. It's back to John 1.1, 1, 1. the word was with God, the word was God in the beginning, John saying the eternal son who eternally resides in the bosom of the father he has gone out in the mission of salvation from the father but he's gone out to bring us back into the bosom of the father brought back as sons family You see, back in verse 12, that's exactly what John was saying. To all who receive Jesus, they're given the right to become children of God. And John here closes saying, now because of the word becoming flesh, because of his overflowing grace, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. That means we are now brought into a very intimate and wonderful relationship with God. We know God. And into our lives, flow through Christ, from the Father, all the grace and love and satisfying joy of God himself. Into our hearts flow total acceptance, full security, deep peace and rest for our souls. All of this known relationally and intimately through Christ. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So, how do you connect your emptiness to his overflowing fullness? What is the channel that connects you to God? It's faith. It's as simple as that. It's faith. Verse 12, it is those who receive him, that is, who believe in his name, that are given the right to become children of God. And John is going to go on in chapter 15 to give us the most beautiful illustration of this union with Christ. Like a tree branch is connected to the tree, and all the life of the sap flows into the branch through the vein and root system of the tree, so believers united to Christ have their channel going from their emptiness to the fullness of God. Faith in Christ is the channel that connects your emptiness to the overflowing ocean of His grace. So, whatever form your emptiness takes this morning, turn to Christ now, by faith, See that channel of faith open the way for the ocean of His grace to cascade into the emptiness of your life. Emptying you of sin and brokenness, filling you with His righteousness, filling you so that you're like me as a boy on that ocean, brimming over with delight. Seeing the ocean and its fullness filling my little empty void. This is why Christmas is good news. The Word became flesh, pitched His tent among us to pour His overflowing grace into our lives. over the next week or so, we're probably going to spend some time reflecting on a year gone past as we look out into a year going forward. And I want to close by giving you the words of Psalm 84:5 and asking you to fix this picture in your heart and make it a prayer as you go forward into 2024. In Psalm 84, verse 5, we read, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, Lord, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, what that means, Zion means the place where God is. So the Psalm is saying, blessed are those whose heart, it's like a channel, a road, a motorway that goes straight to God as their source of strength and their source of grace. Here's what I want in 2024. I want the channel of my heart or, or the, 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 the space of my heart, I want there to be a, a highway, to that ocean of grace and fullness that there is for me in God. I don't want to waste time anymore running around like a headless chicken stressed out and trying to figure out how I can fix the problems in my life by myself. I just want there to be this highway straight to the place of strength and see the overflowing grace cascading down that channel, just filling my empty heart daily. Pray for 2024, that a a beautiful highway without any blocks, any roadworks, no 30 mile, there's no speed limit on this, this highway, just a straight space. Pray that a highway would be built more firmly in the year ahead from the ocean of God's grace to the void of your heart. Because that, that experience of his grace filling our emptiness, it's what every one of us needs more than anything else. Let's pray. Father, there might be some people here this morning and they're not Christians, and there's no roadway of faith between your overflowing grace and their emptiness. Oh, I pray this morning that that person by your Spirit would capture that vision of like a river of grace being stopped by a dam and no grace is flowing because of the dam of sin that blocks the way. But Jesus breaks down the dam. And I pray, Lord, that that person would cry out for Jesus to do that work of salvation that the water of grace might flow and fill their emptiness this morning. Or perhaps there's someone here this morning and they've just fallen away from you lately. And it's as if there are blockages in that channel of grace coming into their lives. Oh Lord, whatever that sin is, I just pray that this per- the person right now would confess it and pray that all those blockages would be cleared that the pipe cleaner of the grace of God would just be shot through the channel and that grace would flow afresh. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ this morning, but perhaps, Lord, the highway from our heart to you, it's, it's just not in the condition it should be in. Oh, Lord, in the year ahead, may there be a clearer connection from our empty hearts to your overflowing ocean. For it is from your fullness that we are filled. And Lord, as we sing now of that grace that fills us, as we share time around the Lord's Supper and remember where that grace meets us, continue your work by your Spirit and fill us to overflowing with thankfulness we ask it in jesus name amen well we are going to uh, gather around the lord's table just now to remember christ his death and resurrection by sharing the bread and cup together if you know and love jesus as your lord and savior and you're in good standing with your local church you're welcome to share in this meal of remembrance with us If you didn't realize we were having communion this morning and you walked past the table where the bread and wine are at the back and you forgot to pick it up during our next first part of the song, just nip back, grab the bread and the wine, bring it back to your seat so that you're ready to share in communion with us. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're not able to share in the hope we have in Christ at this moment, then I would encourage you not to take the bread and the wine because by taking it, you're saying, Christ is my Lord and Savior. It wouldn't make sense to take it. Instead, I'd encourage you just to reflect and wonder, think about what's holding you back from the Lord and his overflowing grace. Let's sing together of that grace. As we sing, we'll stand together, and then after, please do just sit down, and then let's just settle our hearts. Really want to continue this communion with the Lord and this knowledge and understanding and enjoyment of the place where we find deep rest in him. Let's stand and sing together of his grace. Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich.